told you last week that we were going to, that it was the last message in the Space Hall of Fame series, that I was wrong. I was wrong. I got to do one more. Because it occurred to me that chapter 12 of Hebrews is telling us how to respond to chapter 11. Right? Now, it, we're all about the Word. We need to know what the Word says because the Word is given us by the Lord. And it's the Word of God. It's not just any book. It's the Word of God. So in chapter 11, we got all these heroes of the faith. But chapter 12 tells us how to respond to what chapter 11 told us about them and what they modeled for us. So we're going to do that today. And I'm calling this, I don't know if you need this or not. Tell me if you need this. Don't faint, don't give up, don't walk away. You need this? All right, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. If we could do that, please. I love honoring the word by standing. And um, let's read it because I'm going to talk to you about not fainting, giving up, or walking away because that's what Hebrews 12 is about. So he says, starting at verse 3, think of all the hostility. Let me read this one. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Talking about Jesus. So notice, think about him. Consider what he suffered. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. If you consider what he went through, it'll help you to not be weary or to faint or to give up. That's what he's telling us. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Anybody in here? I haven't. I've almost been hit for sharing Jesus, but not yet. I haven't shed any blood, neither have most of you, but he did. Now, here's the word to you and me. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are what by him. He's talking to God's kids here. You and me, okay? For whom the Lord loves, he whoops. I'm, that's the revised Wickwire paraphrase version. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, if you're saved, that's you. Now, look at verse 7. If you endure it, if you endure God's chastening, he's going to deal with you as with a son or a daughter. For what son or daughter is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not even a son. In other words, if you're a real son or daughter of God, you're going to be disciplined and chastened by him from time to time. If you're not, you ain't his. Furthermore, I know this is a jump up and shout message. I, I can feel it coming. This is giving you holy ghost bumps, right? But we need to hear this. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. Everybody say, I know that's right. And we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? Verse 10. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But God does it 
for our profit that we may be more worldly. No. Why does he discipline us? That we may be, say it with me, partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be fun for the present, but painful. It hurts. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields. What does it yield? The peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Verse 12, the last verse. This is my favorite one. Therefore, strengthen your hands that are hanging down. I'm going, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Right? Hang, strengthen those hands that are hanging down and the feeble knees and make a straight path for your feet. This is powerful. So that what is lame and maimed and wounded and broken may not be dislocated or made worse, but rather be healed. Wow. What a good word. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that as we are your children, we're experiencing your discipline, your correction. We're experiencing divine pressure to get us into that narrow road that leads to life. Lord, I thank you. You don't let us stray. But you love us enough to discipline and train us so that we are holy like you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, perk up and listen, you're going to need this before you get home. Now, uh, I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. This is God's Word. And I want you to track with me closely here because it's real important that we understand who his target audience was right here. The writer of Hebrews, I think it was Paul. You can think who you want. I think it was Paul. Doesn't matter. The writer of Hebrews, it's the Word of God, had a target audience initially. Now, we, we get it by default, but the target audience was persecuted Christians who are undergoing incredible hardship. They were losing their jobs, their families, their freedom. They were being thrown in prison. They, some of them, were being killed. They were watching loved ones, family members killed. They were being abused and mistreated under the Roman government that persecuted their faith. They were under the gun of persecution and the trial of hardship. Life was very hard for these people in the natural. When you name the name of Christ, you got a target on you. It's becoming like that more and more here. So he's writing them. Now, you've got to get this or you don't get anything about chapter 12. In light of all that they're going through, He's encouraging them that instead of viewing all their troubles through a negative eye, you know, where's God? How am I going through this? How's he letting this happen? This is terrible. This is hard. I don't know about all this. I didn't sign up for this. 
Okay? He said, instead of seeing it through a negative eye, I want you to train yourself to see the hand of God's discipline working through your troubles for your ultimate good. Now, when I started reading this, it didn't make any sense to me. What do you mean? People are giving me grief. How can that be God's discipline? And here's the thing. He's sovereign. So he uses every single thing to make us more like Jesus. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless no matter what you go through. He's able to work all things together for your good. And what is the good? It's to make you and I more like Jesus, as the verse said, so that we can share in his holiness. And what does holiness mean? It just means set-apartness. It means you are removed from the world and the corruption of the world, and you are set apart for his use. So he's saying, I don't want you to see trouble just for trouble. I want you to begin to see it as God's discipline and training in your life. He's going to train you through the trouble. He's going to train you through the hardship. He's going to make it work for your good and for the good of the kingdom. He's sovereign. The devil never says checkmate to God. God always says checkmate to the devil. Always. So chapter 12, here's what he's doing. He's adjusting the way they should interpret their circumstances. Because the way you read, the way you interpret, the conclusions you come to regarding your circumstances. Am I just going through a hard time? Where is God? He's not answering prayer. The way you view it, the way you look at it. Or you see he's working his hand, his will, his purpose for my benefit and the benefit of the kingdom. How you view it is going to determine how you go through what you go through. you got to see it through the eyes of God, not the eyes of the natural. And the eyes of God, the way God sees your trouble and my trouble, we're all, we've all got troubles, we're all dealing with troubles. If you're not dealing with troubles, you're dead. But if you're here today, you're alive. And if you're alive, you've got some troubles. Now, how you view those troubles in light of your faith and walk with God is going to decide on how you navigate them and go through them. Whether kicking and screaming the whole way or understanding the will and the purpose of God. Now, he says, in light of that, and, and, and in light of the encouragement to see those troubles as the training and discipline of God, whatever they may be, He's using them to train and discipline us. He said, let's talk about Jesus being the ultimate example of somebody that sailed through incredible resistance without one time losing his stride. Our example in suffering, says the writer, is Jesus. If you listen to the Living Bible, verse 3, if you want to keep from becoming faint-hearted and weary... Are you getting faint-hearted? Are you getting weary? Your hands hanging down? Your knees getting weak and wobbly? Are, are you growing slack in your walk with God? 
Are you wondering if you should keep it up or check out, put up the white flag, quit, walk away? He said, look at Jesus' patience. Look at him. Sinful men did such terrible things to him, things that have never been done to you and me. He said, after all, you haven't yet struggled against sin to the shedding of blood. You haven't shed blood yet. Jesus did. He shed blood in his battle against sin and dealing with sinful people who resisted his words and his character and who he was. They came against him from every side. They never left him alone. They hounded him, stalked him, haunted him, chased him, lied about him, slandered him, ridiculed him, and killed him. He said, you haven't shed blood yet, but Jesus did in seven different ways in his fight with sin. He shed blood in the garden as he prayed. The Bible says he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. He was under such stress, it burst the corpuscles, and he, he literally sweated out of his pores. He said, you haven't done that yet. He said it was, the blood was shed when they thrust the crown of thorns over his sacred head. They dig, dug into his scalp. He bled. He shed blood when they whipped his back. He shed blood when they beat his face. He shed blood when they hammered the, the, the nails through the hands. He shed blood when they nailed uh, through the feet. And he shed blood when they put the sword through his side. Seven times. He said, think about that. Consider that. Because not one time did he falter. Not one time did he break his stride. Not one time did he consider giving up. Not one time did he become faint-hearted. He was, a, he was a champion through the whole thing. They said, consider him. Consider him. When the prophet Isaiah looked down the tunnel of time and saw the Messiah that was coming, the Spirit of God moved on him, and, and Jesus Christ spoke through him in the first person and said this, the Lord God will help me. Therefore, should I not be confounded? Therefore, have I set my face like a flint? And I know I will not be ashamed. Jesus speaking directly through Isaiah in the first person before he ever came. When Jesus was journeying to Jerusalem where he would be crucified, Luke writes this about our Lord. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face. To go to Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Isaiah, he said through Isaiah, I set my face like a flint. Luke records of him, he set his face. What does it mean when you're flint-faced? When you set your face like a flint? What does that mean? What is that describing? It, it means unwavering determination. I came to do a task, and I'm going to do it, and there is not one thing that's going to stop me from God's will and doing God's will. I'm going all the way to the end. I'm going to finish my course. I'm going to run my race. I'm going to keep the faith. I am not going to give up until it's done. Unwavering determination. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Hebrews 12, he's saying, he, consider him. Consider that. Flint-faced. 
We all need to be flint-faced. We all need to set our face like a flint because we're here for a reason. You got up today because God's still got a will for you. You're here today because he's still got a purpose for you. The day his purpose is up, you're going home, but you're here today, so he's still got a purpose for you. And so what are we to do? We want to say with Paul, I fought a good fight. I finished my race, my assignment, my course, and I kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord will give to me on that day. And not only me, but on all those who love his appearing. So we're called not just to start the race, but to finish the race. And we got to be just like Jesus. He said, consider him when you're under hardships and trouble and, and, you, and you're feeling weak and you're feeling faint and you're feeling like you want to give up and you're, you're done with the walk and you're tired of prayer and, and, and you're not feeling the fire anymore. He said, listen, he said, think of him, consider him, look at him because he went through far more and he never faltered. Nothing could move Jesus off his task. Nothing. Consider him. No matter the opposition of sinners you and I may face, it's nothing like what he did. No matter the ridicule or mockery they may uh, send our way, it's nothing like he experienced. Consider him. He's the captain of our salvation. He, he's, he's our leader, our trailblazer. And, and the same Lord that didn't falter or faint lives in you and me. A champion lives in you and me. The winner lives in you and me. The greatest champion of all time lives in you and me. And he is not a quitter. He's not a quitter. Quitters never go anywhere, never get anywhere in life. It's not who we are. We are not quitters. That's not who we are. We are not quitters. I'm going to say it again. That's not who we are. We are not quitters. We have the ultimate champion living in our heart, and he's going to carry us to the end. He never abandoned any of his God-given plans for anything. No argument, no scorn, no worldly disapproval ever caused him for a moment to deviate from the course that God had given him. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. His whole purpose for coming was to go to the cross. That was his whole purpose. I was born to die. I was born to die. He was born to die on that tree. And nothing stopped him from being flint-faced as he walked towards it. So Hebrews tells us that we gain strength by just considering him. And what dangers does it keep us from? Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Dear church, we're in a fainting generation. We're in a faint. People are walking away from church all the time. Uh, people people are, are, are compromising the faith all the time. Uh, people are giving up all the time. But I'm going to say it again. The, the real body of Christ, that's not who we are. That's not what we are. That's not what they did in the first century. They went all the way to the end. And true Christians all through the ages have gone all the way to the end. We're, we're to be determined just like Jesus. Amen. So everybody say with me, consider him. Have you done that lately? Have you just stopped and just thought about what our Lord Jesus went through for you and for me? What he endured? What he went through for you and me? God himself hanging on a cross, allowing men to abuse him, the very men he created to abuse him, 
so he could redeem you and redeem me from hell and destruction. He said, consider him and you won't faint. Are you hearing me? Now, now let's get to the meat of this thing now. He said, second, we're, we're to see our sufferings as God's loving discipline. How do you see suffering as loving discipline? How many of you had your dad ever whoop you? Come on. Well, some of you say no, and that explains a lot right there. No, I'm, I'm kidding. How many of you ever had a parent discipline you? Come on. Now, for the most part, I know there's bad parents. I know all that. But for the most part, they did it so that you would live right. They weren't whipping you so you would sin better. They were whipping you or dealing with you or correcting you so you would live right. And that's the whole idea with God. He disciplines us so we will live right, so we will walk right. Now, he says, my child, don't make light of his discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. Don't walk away. Don't get mad. Don't have a bad attitude when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everybody he accepts as his child. As you endure his discipline, remember he's treating you as his own children. Now, let me tell you how he disciplines you and me. He disciplines us in one of four ways, maybe all four at once. He disciplines you through his word. Every, every morning I get in the word. How many of you got in the word recently and you went, ooh, that stung? Because it said something that corrected you, right? Disciplined you. So you read the word. I, I, I'm in it every day. I've got to, to survive spiritually. And, and so as I'm reading it, he corrects me through his word. He disciplines me. He trains me. And it stings. And almost, I almost never get into the Word on, a, on any morning that something doesn't make me go, ooh, wow, ouch, forgive me, Lord. I thank God for the Word because it keeps you sharp as a razor blade. Amen, it keeps you sharp. You get away from that Word, you're going to get dull quick. We want to stay sharp. So he, he disciplines through His Word. He disciplines through His Spirit. You say the wrong thing, think the wrong thing, go the wrong place, you do something and the Spirit of God gets grieved in you, and you know that something is wrong. What is that? That's the discipline of God through the Holy Spirit. He's, he loves you enough to say, wait a minute, no, 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 no. Don't say that. Don't think that. Don't go there. I'm disciplining you. And he pulls you back into line. So he disciplines you. He disciplines you through other people who love you. And they see something amiss, and they say, hey, I love you enough to tell you, Here's what I see. And they discipline you. If you can receive it, the Bible says the wise man receives correction, but the fool spurns it. Okay? The fool spurns correction, but the wise man receives it and is thankful for it. But he uses others to, to bring his discipline, his training, his correction. And then also, are you ready? He uses troubles to discipline us. He allows some troubles into our life to discipline us. You say, Pastor Jeff, that's not a good confession. No, but it's true. Sure, he uses troubles. He uses troubles in my life all the time. Do you get me? How many of you can say, I get into the Word a whole lot better when I'm going through some pressure. I was doing just great. I, I may not have been in the Word much, but everything was going my way. But when I got into a major trial, I started reading the Bible again. 
I started praying again. I got back into the house of God. Because he uses troubles to discipline and train us. Now, why does he discipline you and me? Here's why. It's always good for us. Verse 10. His discipline is always good. When he corrects you, gets you in line, convicts you, rebukes you, it's always good for you. Why? So that you can share in his holiness. We human beings, we easily drift. Now, I'm talking about myself. I easily drift. Do you easily drift? Tell the truth. You easily drift. Get out of the Word for a week. Get out of church for a few weeks. You start drifting. And you'll drift. You know, uh, most of us, a lot of us anyway, have been in the ocean. You get in one of those little blow-up life rafts. You, you lay down on it. You're bagging some rays. You're out there on vacation. Beautiful sun. It's peaceful. The waves are rolling. And you get in that raft. And you lay back and you close your eyes and you're listening to whomever. And a few minutes later, you lift up and shore is way out there. Say, how did I drift this far that fast? That's just what we do when we get away from the word and away from prayer and away from God's house. We get way out there and we start paddling to get back in lest the sharks get us right? David says this. David says, I used to wander off until you punished me. Now I closely follow everything you say. Isn't that right? How about this one? Before I suffered, I did many wrong things. But now, post-suffering or in the suffering, I carefully obey everything you say. Don't tell me God doesn't use trouble. He uses trouble to get us in line. He uses pressure to get us into the Word. We're going to get into the Word more under pressure than we ever would without it. So He uses trouble. He uses the, the conviction of the Spirit. He, he uses His Word. And He uses others to discipline us, to, to speak into our lives and correct us. So in the, in the natural, you may see the troubles you're in right now, financial, marital, family, relational, whatever they are, you may see them through natural eyes. But God says, I want you to see that they are a hammer and chisel in my hand, and I am hammering and chiseling my character into your life through everything you're going through. They are my tools. It is my tool to get you where you need to be. Yeah. Now, as long as I'm dealing with something difficult, can I just tell you one more difficult thing? Let me tell you something really real. Here's a fact. You want to know how you're really, truly saved? Let me tell you how to know if you're really, truly saved. If you never experience God's chastening, if you're out there living like the world and you never experience His rebuke, His conviction, His correction, His discipline, then by the authority of God's Word, I'm going to tell you, you're not saved. Verse 8, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you're illegitimate and you're not his children at all. Isn't that what it said? I didn't say that. I didn't write it. So if you can go out there and you can live like the world and never be convicted, 
and never experience God's rebuke and never experience him invading your life to pressure you to get back into line, you're not saved. I mean, let's tell the truth. There's a lot of people say I'm a Christian, but then they go out there and they live exactly like the world without a care in the world, no conviction at all whatsoever. The Bible tells me that person may think they're saved, but they're not. Because God will never let you drift without getting onto you. And that's the security that I have in Him. That's the security I have as a child of God. My daddy's not going to let me stray. My daddy's not going to let me drift. My heavenly Father is not going to let me get away from Him without messing with my stuff. Right? So we're called to trust him without resentment. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, everybody say afterward. There's always an afterward. There will be a peaceful harvest of holy living for those who are trained by it. And every child of God will be. You and me. We're all going to experience his discipline. His training. So here's what he says in closing. He says, since God is in control, our trusting response should be first. Look at verse 12. He says, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Let me give you the revised Wickwire paraphrased version here. Get a fresh grip on your walk with Jesus. Get out of the moldy grubs of discouragement. Stir up the gift of God that's within you. Get off the sidelines and get back into the game. Amen. So, so you're undergoing some discipline, some training. That's good. He loves you enough to train you and discipline and correct you. That, that's what we're supposed to learn from everybody in Hebrews 11 all the way down to Jesus in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Consider him. He did the same thing. Second, he says, mark out a straight path for your feet. You want your life to be healed? You want what is broken in you and maim in you and limping in you and wounded and bleeding in you? You want it healed? Are you ready? Live right. Mark out. Everybody say, mark out a straight path for my feet so that what is lame maimed and limping will not get worse but will be healed I've had so many people in the altar through the years quite a few come up to me and say Pastor Jeff I've gone so far down I've gone into so much sin I got so far away from God I'm not sure he can even forgive me and I can't imagine myself uh, uh, getting my life together now. I've just made a great big mess of it. And I say, the first thing you do is you start living right. You start living an obedient life. You open up that Bible and do what it tells you to do. Live the way it tells you to live. Go the way it tells you to go. Walk down the road it tells you to walk down. And healing will begin to come to your life. Yes. He'll, he'll heal your mind. He'll heal your broken heart. He'll heal your soul. He'll heal your life from the habits. The more you walk with God, the better it gets. 
sinful living always brings wounding, bleeding, and destruction. But right living always brings healing, wholeness, soundness, and joy. So you start living the way God tells you to live. Get on the right path. Get on that narrow road. Embrace God's will for you. Get rid of what makes you stumble and start obeying the Lord every single day. And healing is going to come to your life. Lest that which is lame and maimed and limping be worse by wrong living, let it rather be healed by right living. You will know the truth and the path the truth gives you. And you will be free. It'll make you free. Can we stand together today? I know this is, a, like I said, not a jump up and shout message. But I'm, I've got a word for you today. In a fainting generation, are you ready, turning point? We're not going to faint. In a fainting generation, we're not going to, no, because we're going to consider him. And we're going to embrace his training. And we're going to live that right life. And he's going to heal our lives. Heal the insecurities. Heal the heartbreaks. Heal the memories. Heal the deep, bleeding wounds. I'm going to answer that. <laughs> heal the shame. You want to be everything God has called you to be? Don't just say, well, he's my Savior and Lord, but follow him. Well, when I'm 65, I'll make him Lord. Oh, my dear, stop. When you got saved, he was Lord right then. You don't make him Lord. Yeah. You don't make him Lord ever. He's Lord right off the bat. And he's coming back. Lord of Lords, King of Kings. So just follow him and let him make you everything he's called you to be. All right? Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Lord, thank you for the training of God. Thank you for the good discipline, the correction that gets us back in line. Thank you, Lord, for caring enough to intervene in our lives, lest we drift off into trouble and destruction. Thank you, Lord, for your help. Thank you, Lord, for being a loving father. Thank you, Lord, that if we're really yours, we will never get far from you without immediate correction from you because you love us enough. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But you, Lord, the Lord God laid all of our iniquity on Jesus so that we'd be brought into life and into line. Now, Lord, thank you. Lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, today, help me to have a face like Flint that I would, with determination and resolve, finish what God has called me to do and heal my life, Lord, as I live for you. Reach into those places only your spirit can go and heal me. Thank you, Lord. 
Heal the fears, Lord. Heal the doubt. Heal the anxiety. Heal the terrible memories. Walk through the corridors of our soul. Lord, go up to those rooms that are locked and the shades are drawn and no one goes in there because that's where we were hurt. Go there. Unlock the door, Lord. Heal our souls. Take the limp away. Stop the inner soul bleeding. Let it rather be healed. Let it rather be healed. That's the choice before all of us. Let it be healed. That means we got to let something happen. We've got to be open to it. Lord, I'm asking you to heal. And those watching from their homes or their businesses and those listening later on radio or social media, reach where they are, Lord. Heal us. Lord, we're a broken people. We're a broken nation. Lord, heal your people through your training and through that obedient living. Can you breathe a prayer? Dear church, I just feel God on this right now. Just say, Lord, heal me. Say, I'm tired of hurting. Heal me. I believe there's a healing on the house today. I believe there's a healing. I want you to say, Lord, today I let you in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Thank you, Lord.